Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer have been available for kids 5 to 11 for a few months now. But reports on a couple of recent studies about the vaccine's effectiveness have sounded some alarms. We wanted to dig into these studies, what was found, and, and get proper context for those findings. So we caught up with Dr. Jennifer Hamilton. She is a professor of family, community, and preventative medicine at Drexel University College of Medicine. Give a listen. So before we kind of dig into what we're learning about the the Pfizer vaccine and some recent studies, overall, how have we done getting kids vaccinated? In your opinion, has it been much slower than you thought? Did you did it has it gone about what you had anticipated? Where are you on that? There hasn't been the uptake in the youngest available group now, the five to eleven year olds, that there has been in the older kids. And whether that's because it came out late enough that by the time it was available, parents were saying, you know, I'm not sure I actually want this because there are some parents who don't want their kids to get vaccinated. Whether it was a matter of it came during Christmas time and families were just too busy to get it done. You know, if the vaccine comes during spring. Uh, winter break, maybe parents aren't going to have that push because they're not trying to get their kids protected for school right away. But with one thing or another, we just haven't seen the numbers in the younger children than we have for the teens. So on top of that, then we get these this recent report about the Pfizer vaccine, 5 to 11, and kind of give me context. Talk to me basically said less effective across the board. Are there caveats? What have, what did we learn from this? A couple of different caveats and a couple of different studies. Two different studies hit the media within two days of each other, and they're kind of getting overlapped if you're not careful about it. First one that hit was a study out of New York State that looked at how well the vaccine worked in just a six-week period from the middle of December to the end of January. And they tracked it by, these are the number of kids who got vaccinated, these are the number of kids who showed up with positive tests, and this is how many needed to get hospitalized. And what they found was the vaccine was very effective when the kids first got it, But by the end of that six-week period, the effectiveness had fallen up substantially. Um, So some of the headlines were saying that the vaccine was only 10% effective. Um, That was looking at keeping kids from getting sick, not at keeping kids from getting out of the hospital. One of the problems with that study was that if you're only tracking children who present to the doctor, with a diagnosis of COVID. This is also the same time when people were doing more home tests. So you're only going to see the kids who have positive test results and all the kids who were protected never made it into the study. So it kind of skews the data. Now, the other thing that that study showed was that it is effective at keeping kids out of the hospital. The effectiveness, depending on where you were in that window 
at the beginning of the window, it was 100% effective. Six weeks later, it was looking like it was 50% effective. And how much of that difference is because of the six-week time delay? It had been six extra weeks since the kids were vaccinated versus the fact that that was also the Omicron surge. And the vaccine was protecting against a different version of the virus than the one it had been developed for. But even with those two questions, the vaccine was still keeping lots of kids out of the hospital. The other study that came out two days later was looking at how effective the vaccines were across 10 different states. Um, And this one showed up on a CDC website. Um, And it was tracking over a longer period of time. Instead of just six weeks in December and January, it tracked from April of last year through the end of January. So that was able to separate out the time since the last vaccine dose versus Omicron. And when you allow for both of those factors, it seems like the vaccine effectiveness holds up pretty well. It's just that they don't work as well against Omicron as we wish they could have. Um, That study was showing that in the 5 to 11-year-old group, the vaccines were 75% effective at keeping kids out of the hospital, even two or three months after their most recent dose. So we're seeing multiple studies from multiple directions saying that the vaccines that we have are actually pretty good at keeping kids out of the hospital. They're not as good as we would like from keeping kids from getting infected. But, you know, being able to stay out of the hospital is nothing to be sneezed at. And I feel like this comes a lot of this comes to the messaging around vaccines. And I don't mean necessarily public health folks, but it it hasn't been pushed enough, I think, by the media and by politicians. The goal for the vaccines was never zero positives. The goal was keeping people out of the hospital and obviously from dying. It was to make this, you know, turn it into a two to five day sickness at home. And yeah, maybe you feel like crap, but you know, it's something that you get through and then you're better. I mean, this kind of seems like kind of a a branch of that, that the alarm that's rung from this is because we're not focused on the wrong thing, but kind of set the goalposts at the wrong place. Exactly. In a certain way, these vaccines are victims of their own success. When the first studies came out in November 2020, showing that the vaccines worked, people were hoping that it might be 50% effective at keeping you from getting sick. And the initial numbers out of those studies were 90, 95% effective at preventing disease. No one expected numbers like that, but we very quickly took that as the goal rather than staying out of the hospital, um, keeping you from needing oxygen, keeping you off a ventilator, keeping you alive as the different goalposts. You mentioned all the caveats and you gave us context for the the kids 5 to 11. Is there tweaking to be done with this age group with regards to dosage? Is that maybe the 
it's not necessarily that there's any problem with the vaccine and how kids react or anything like that. It's just they need more to last longer. And that's why we're seeing the the drops off drop offs we are seeing. I think one of the first tweaks we're going to see is going to come in the timing between the two doses that starts the vaccine off. We've already seen that in older age groups for people in the uh, 18 and over age group. Now there's guidance saying maybe three week spacing for Pfizer, the four week spacing for Moderna isn't the best. And the CDC is saying, you know, for some people, maybe an eight week interval is better than that three or four week spacing. I suspect that's going to trickle down to younger populations as well. Catch is if you want to get somebody some immunity very, very quickly because there's a huge wave of infection coming over you, you want to get that on board as quickly as you can, even if it's not as long lasting. So that's how you wound up with the three or four week spacing. Now that we're a little bit farther into this, maybe moving to an eight-week spacing is what's going to happen for the younger children as well. Could we see uh, boosters for kids? I think we will. Um, You know, boosters are currently recommended at the five-month mark, and we're just not at the five-month mark since the vaccines were approved for kids. I have a feeling that's something that might get taken up in the you know, next couple of weeks before we get to that point. But I do think we'll wind up seeing boosters for kids. You talked about how we're not seeing this five to 11 group get vaccinated at the rate you would like, or most people would like. Uh, And even though we've kind of drawn out how these studies aren't as hair on fire, bad as some headlines Mm. lead you to believe, how concerned are you that people that don't have the time to dive deep into this stuff, just kind of see that it's not that effective and it might hamper vaccine efforts even more. I do think that is a concern. I think where it's going to make up ground is going to be when school districts decide, will they require vaccines to participate in school? That's going to be another ongoing series of issues. We've seen that that decision is never an easy one. Um, But I do think that if it is decided that children um, need to be vaccinated against COVID the way they need to be vaccinated against measles, mumps, diphtheria, you know, then I think we'll see the numbers go up. What has this done to the timeline for zero to four? Because I know a lot of parents of younger kids who were who were hopeful that it was getting close. And then these headlines, these stories about these these studies came out. And they're really depressed because they feel like, you know, it's going to be punted down the road more because they're going to want to look more at things. What does this do for that age group, you think? I don't think it changes the timeline at all. We the last time we spoke, we were saying that it looks like those might be ready um, sometime this spring. So sometime maybe May will have the outcomes from the studies looking at what you need to do to make these long-lasting vaccines in that, you know, six-month to five-year-old age group. And 
this just goes along with the same concerns that were raised in the early studies in those age groups, making us say, maybe the two doses on the three-week schedule isn't perfect. Maybe we need to do something else. In a way, this reinforces that message and makes the delay to look at a different timing of the vaccine more worth it. We've talked specifically about Pfizer. What's the timeline for Moderna when it comes to younger kids? And could we see other players come in, you know, the Johnson and Johnson or maybe even uh, another one? um, I don't think I'm seeing Johnson and Johnson looking at the younger kids. I know that Moderna is getting its application ready uh, to bring it down. Moderna these days is, uh, I think, down to 16 or 18. Forgive me for not knowing that off the top of my head. Um, But I know that they're looking at bringing it down into the younger teenagers and then down to younger kids. Um, There's also another player who might be coming to approval in the United States sometime soon called Novavax. It's a U.S. company. Uh, And their vaccine has already been approved in Canada, in several European countries. They have an application pending to the FDA as well. Um, So for families who are concerned about the mRNA vaccines, maybe it feels a little bit too new to them. The Novavax vaccine uses an older technology. um, And that might be a little bit reassuring to some people and help give more uptake on vaccines in general. And let's close. Just give me your overall message to parents of uh, kids, let's say eight-year-olds, who have heard this conversation, have read the stories the last couple of weeks. Uh, what do you want them to know? You know, I would encourage them to get their children vaccinated. It's not a hundred percent, but it is significant protection to keep your child out of the hospital, keep your child healthy. Um, and there may be boosters required down the line, but for now we can get you some measure of protection. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.